This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Sahar Salehi, who is Senior Consultant and Assistant Professor in the Department of Pelvic Cancer, Gynecologic Oncology, at the Karolinska University Hospital and Karolinska Institute in Sweden. Uh, welcome, Sahar. Thank you very much, Professor Ramirez. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to, uh, to interview you today. And uh, we wanted to talk about uh, an upcoming uh, publication in Gynecologic Oncology uh, titled Ultra Radical Upfront Surgery Does Not Improve Survival in Women with Advanced Epithelial Ovarian Cancer, a Natural Experiment in a Complete Population uh, really very interesting article, and uh, there's a lot of questions that I'm sure will come up or have come up already. I've already seen some in uh, social media as well uh, pertaining to this, uh, to this article. So um, certainly I wanted to start by obviously recognizing that if despite the fact that there are four uh, randomized trials, um, the ERC, the RTC, the CHORUS trial, um, the Japanese trial, and now most recently the Scorpion trial, gynecologic oncologists often are recommending upfront cytoreductive surgery to select patients. One of the consistent points in the retrospective literature is that an aggressive surgical effort should be attempted to achieve R0. So this brings me to my first question. What was the aim of your study, and why did you consider this to be an important question for us? Yeah. Well, you know, we initiated a change in surgical treatment algorithm in our population based on two factors that has, as you say, been repeatedly associated with, with prolonged survival. One, upfront surgery, and two, complete resection. So the rationale was increasing complete resection in an upfront situation prolongs life, and we ought to strive to incre increase complete resection and upfront surgery by means of removing the barrier of surgical improficiency. And though, even though observational studies have repeatedly and consistently shown a favorable survival after complete resection, there are virtually non-existent observational support corroborating the same effect when ex extending surgery beyond traditional boundaries of resection to achieve complete resection, what we call ultra-radical. Mm -hmm. The reports available are from highly selective institutions who do not disclose patient selection. However, the theoretic rationale behind complete resection is in line and resonates with this aggressive approach, why it has been considered a new standard of care. So we were aware of this when, when changing our algorithm. And performing this, uh, we performed the shift with a strong conviction that this was the right thing to do for our patients. However, since we treat a population, we were also concerned that too many women would be excluded from surgery with our new algorithm, mm -hmm. while we followed our treated women closely as quality assurance. So this didn't start as a study per se. We were completely certain that surgically treated women in an ultra-radical and upfront setting would have an improved survival. Mm -hmm. However, the results were shocking and uh, unexpected, to say the least. <laughs> so, Sahar, what, what, um, what data did you use to, to explore this question, and specifically um, the database that, that you used? And if you can just tell our 
listeners as to what were the advantages and disadvantages of uh, certainly using this database? Yeah. Well, Sweden and all the Nordic countries have a long tradition of keeping registries on its population. Also, a personal, personal identification number is given all residents why uh, registry research is facilitated. So we use two registries, the National Swedish Cancer Registry. It was established in the 1950s and ha has a high completeness uh, and covers all malignant tumors, more than 95%. Mm -hmm. And reporting to the National Cancer Registry is mandated by law. Uh, and then we use the Swedish Quality Registry for gynecologic cancer, uh, which is a very new registry established in 2008, and it entails more detailed information on treatment, patient, and tumor characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, this registry is also funded by the authorities. So, uh, I mean, like all registry st studies ha have have their problems, of course, with different kind of kinds of bias and information bias. Mm -hmm. However, uh, you can say that these are co these are complete registries funded by the authorities and uh, validated and controlled, um, you can say, and most data are pers prospectively collected. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they, ha they, have a, they are much stronger in their validity, you can say, than an institutional database. Yeah, and, and I wanted to also, um, in terms of the definitions and the methodology, obviously in your title, you mentioned the, the term mm -hmm. ultra-radical surgery. It, how did you mm -hmm. specifically define that? Yeah, that's a good question. I really, you know, I don't understand who coined this term, and I frankly don't like it. <laughs> it's like using, as you said, residual zero for complete resection. Um, however, what ultra-radical comprises is, of course, it's not defined or universally defined. I would say it implies that proficiency of the gynecologist is at a level uh, not impeded by anatomical boundaries and, you know, typically involves the addition of upper abdominal procedures or more advanced pelvic or extra pelvic procedures to achieve complete resection. So there's no, you know, exact definition, of course. Yeah. And then you, um, I also noticed you selected two cohorts of uh, uh, patients, three-year cohorts. Um, tell us about that and the, the reasons for selecting these two specific time frames in your study. Yeah, good question. The cohorts were selected from two different eras of surgical treatment. And the first cohort represents women diagnosed 2009 to 11. That was before the shift in surgical treatment. And these years were chosen since the Swedish Quality Registry of Gynecologic Cancer started in 2008. And the first year, the completeness was less than satisfactory, mm -hmm. why excluded. And the second represents women diagnosed 2014 to 16 when, when the shift was fully implemented and we were performing all the surgeries independently. Mm -hmm. uh, the years in between, 12 and 13, uh, we decided represents a washout period for surgical proficiency towards the change mm -hmm. in our algorithm, why we excluded them. Okay. And so, Hart, one of the things that uh, for many institutions... Um, you know, certainly a laparoscopic evaluation um, prior to determining resection is this standard routine. And um, mm -hmm. obviously be before getting into the uh, results, in terms of methodology, I noticed that you um, did not allow 
uh, an evaluation of patients that had a laparoscopic evaluation. Um, w why was that? Yeah. Well, you know, if you believe in complete resection, and if complete resection is the absolute goal, and there are no barriers to surgical proficiency, you know, laparoscopy to determine resectability, I don't believe is an accurate tool. Ovarian cancer is a peritoneal disease. And you cannot evaluate the whole peritoneal cavity by laparoscopy. It's impossible, mm -hmm. I believe. <laughs> yeah. So if you have decided that a patient is fit for surgery, uh, it is better to give her an honest chance to be evaluated for an attempt of complete resection by a laparotomy. You know, in the first court, it was allowed and frequently used to triage patients. And and um, you know certainly obviously yeah as I, as as you mentioned it's uh, there's definitely variations in terms of uh, practices as it pertains to to laparoscopy. Mm -hmm. um, what one of the other things also just uh, as a last question before getting into the results is that some mm -hmm. might be critical of the follow up time and they might say well 29 mm -hmm. and 27 months respectively is not really long enough to determine. Oncologic mm -hmm. outcomes. What, how would you respond mm -hmm. to that uh, in terms of your um, your results ultimately? Yeah, you know, data on survival was retrieved 36 months after the last diagnosed patient in January 2020. So all patients were followed for at least three years. The seemingly short follow-up is unfortunately due to the killing nature of this disease. So now getting into those results, what did you find? And then mm -hmm. obviously, as you mentioned, some, some, somewhat controversial. So what, what were the, uh, mm -hmm. the findings from the study? Yeah, well, we had, you can say we had three main findings. Uh, first, we found that a substantial proportion of women with ovarian cancer, 23 and 36% respect, respectively by cohort, are not included in estimates of outcome by excluding women with a morphologic diagnosis of ovarian cancer, but with a lack of a topographic or anatomic diagnosis of ovarian cancer. In the paper, we call it epithelial ovarian cancer without a biopsy specifically from the adnexa. Mm -hmm. That was an important finding. Two, we found that the structured shift to upfront ultra-radical surgery significantly increased complete resection rates, increased specialized surgeons performing the surgery, significantly decreased interval surgery, and the time interval to adjuvant chemotherapy. And also, the same proportion of adjuvant treatment and regimen and number of cycles of chemotherapy was evident by cohort, and there was no difference in death within 90 days of diagnosis uh, between cohort attributable to the post-operative complications, you can say. Mm -hmm. All these supposedly favorable variable outcomes did not translate to an improved survival in surgically treated women. Mm -hmm. In fact, at three years, uh, this is not rep not reported in the paper. The three-year survival was inferior in the second cohort for completely resected women, significantly. So uh, th that's a big thing. And third, we also found that a shift in treatment algorithm increased non-surgically treated women by 10%. Mm -hmm. And... and so, I mean, and you know, obviously, the, the, the findings of no improvement in overall survival 
somewhat, you know, uh, certainly go against everything that we've been taught so far. Uh, you know, particularly mm -hmm. noting that, the, you know, the, the rate of complete resection increased in the second cohort. I believe it was from 37 to 67 percent. Patients were yeah. more likely to be operated on by a surgical gynecologic oncologist. Uh, there was no right. difference in chemotherapy regimens. Uh, you know, certainly in the second cohort, uh, more patients receiving bevacizumab and PARP inhibitors. And what would say, well, yep. with all of these, you, you have to expect a better outcome in the second cohort. So why not? Yeah. yeah. Am I allowed to give a lengthy response? <laughs> Is that all right? <laughs> absolutely. I, I'll stop you when, uh, <laughs> when, okay, when time, when time is that's restricted. <laughs> okay, that's good, because this is important. So to understand our results, uh, you know, you have to have an open mind, and everything needs to be put on the table, including that advanced ovarian cancer might not be a diagnosis in which surgery has a large effect. Our minds need to be open to the possibility that there are limitations to the survival effect attributed by surgical proficiency and radical resection rates. Our results indicate that complete resection to any surgical extent does not improve survival and should not be the absolute aim in all patients treated in a high surgical proficiency setting. And it's key to understand that we report from the population, letter N in capital, and not the sample of the population, small letter M. Mm -hmm. And therefore, statistically speaking, we would not need significant testing. And this has never been done before. This material is unique, not because we are unique, mm -hmm. but our setting is unique. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why? Well, the setting does not allow for structural selection bias. Ca cancer care is provided to all citizens free of charge at only one centralized hospital. And we do not get interregional referrals or from abroad. Mm. All women in the population are included and treated at the same hospital regardless of which treatment is provided. Mm. We can account for all women by cross-checking morphologic codes from the National Cancer Registry. We disclose all women with ovarian cancer, which treatment they received in the primary and recurrent situation, how they were selected for surgery, complete resection rates, and which surgical procedures that were needed to achieve complete resection. Moreover, we declare all women who were excluded from surgery and reasons why, both on a group and individual level. For these reasons, I believe this might be the most accurate picture of the effect of surgical treatment in advanced ovarian cancer presented so far. Okay. So, for your question, why didn't the second cohort survive longer despite doing everything better? It's important to understand that completely resected women in the first and second cohort differ. They did not have the same initial tumor burden, but that was the whole point, to increase radical resection rates by means, means of increased surgical proficiency. Mm. However, we treated the population. We cannot select another population. It is what it is. We based our selection cr criteria to surgery on expert opinion and even excluded 10% of the population for surgery. Uh, so you, you can't do it in any other way. Mm -hmm. So the answer to your question, why didn't the second cohort survive longer despite bevacizumab in first line and, and PARP inhibitors in the second line? 
Well, you know, the extensive surgical trauma and peritoneal stress caused by ultra-radical surgery, you know, maybe it may in fact lead to a pro-metastatic microenvironment for the cancer cells, facilitating proliferation, invasion, and metastases. And as mentioned, the three-year survival not reported in the paper was inferior in the second cohort for completely resected women. Maybe bevacizumab and PARP inhibitor were the reasons for the catch-up in the Kaplan-Meier curves at five years. Yeah. Meaning that the favorable effect of complete resection reported previously, not from the ultra-radical era, might just be a proxy for favorable tumor biology. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, observation. And uh, um, absolutely, uh, you, you make an excellent point. Um, you know, the w one of the other things also is that when we... You know, we, when when we prepare for for the podcast, often I, I you know, we certainly get questions that uh, mm -hmm. we're we're requested to ask uh, the the author. So this this is actually one of mm -hmm. them. Um, one of them was uh, the the median survival overall was thirty nine months. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. some were arguing that perhaps neither group received uh, a truly optimal uh, set of reduction. Um, and obviously, this is a hypothetical mm -hmm. speculation. So uh, mm -hmm. how would you respond to, to those who might pose that question to you? Yeah, that's the typical question from surgeons, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, you know um, we have disclosed how we selected our patients, the complete resection rates and procedures needed to achieve complete resection. And unfortunately, this, was o this will always be something never possible to control for or prove since subjective by nature, right? Mm -hmm. So at least we have provided details on which surgical procedures that were needed to achieve complete resection. And apart from a higher prevalence of gastrointestinal resections and stenectomies, it is in line with the procedures reported in the LION trial, which is, by the way, the only study with prospectively collected material that reports on surgical procedures needed to achieve complete resection mm. from centers with an at least perceived high surgical proficiency. However, it is obvious that our patient selection was wrong. Either substantially fewer women should be selected for surgery or suboptimal surgery leaving substantial residual disease is the optimal surgical aim. And for the 39 months of median overall survival, well, it's 10 months long of median survival compared to the EORTC mm -hmm. and 15 months longer compared to the CORUS trial, but indeed 10 months lower than the 49 months after upfront surgery reported from Japan by Onda and colleagues, even though they had a complete resection rate of 12% as compared to 6 to 7 uh, in our study. So, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they excellent points. And um, one of the other questions that came up was um, you showed that in the subgroup of women who had uh, high surgical complexity scores, there was an inferior survival in the, in the second cohort. Um, why do you think uh, this happened? Yeah. You know, this is what I believe. Outcomes after surgery and extent of surgery needed to achieve complete resection is a proxy for favorable or unfavorable tumor biology. If we look at the population of women with advanced ovarian cancer, like a pie chart, uh, I, I believe there might be three parts. One part consists of women with favorable tumor biology. Mm -hmm. These women have always been completely resected by means of relatively easy surgery. Mm -hmm. 
then there are women with some somewhat favorable tumor biology. These women need a bit more surgery to be completely resected and the need of higher, a higher level of surgical competency to achieve it. Then there are women with unfavorable tumor biology. These women are in need of very extensive surgery to achieve complete resection. In these women, neither surgery or complete resection should be attempted. Surgery may in fact be detrimental for these women. Mm -hmm. The utilized surgical complexity score, the Mayo surgical complexity score uh, in the study, I believe is old and not in tune for ultra-radical surgery. Yeah. For this reason, a high surgical complexity score is in reality even higher in the second cohort than in the first, reflecting that women with very unfavorable tumor biology and extensive disease in need of very extensive surgery to achieve complete resection are not helped by either complete resection or very high surgical proficiency. We did not help these women by means of raising the barrier of surgical improficiency. Mm-hmm. However, you know, more precise multivariable regression models are needed to detail this interpretation, I believe. Yeah. And Sahar, you obviously, you, you mentioned and you focused on the, um, on the biology of, of the tumor. Um, you go on to mention mm-hmm. that it is extremely important to select the right patient. And we always are talking about, well, who's the right patient for ovarian cancer cytoreduction? Um, the issue is mm-hmm. that how do we how do we select the right patient? And, and it seems obviously that you are not in favor of a, of a laparoscopic assessment. Um, how do in, in your mind how do we select that ideal patient for surgery? Yeah. Uh, uh, ultimately, I think the answer will be found by a combination of tumor genomics, tumor biology, histopathologic, and clinical characteristics. Surgery is also oncologic treatment. You, you know, personalized cancer surgery should be the next thing for ovarian cancer as well. But still, you know, decades remain of research until we have that answer. Mm-hmm. Until then, we need to accept more rigid tools for patient selection based on clinical and histopathologic characteristics. Uh, and, you know, w- we are trying to um, to um, detail this mm-hmm. in a in a very detailed way, but we have uh, some months or a year left until uh, publication. But uh, uh, we should choose the women with favorable tumor characteristics, and we need to understand what that means. Yeah. And then just as a follow-up to to that statement, in in your own practice today, um, which patients do not uh, go immediately to cytoreduction and go on to neoadjuvant chemotherapy? Yeah, you know, uh, when it comes to timing of surgery, because, you know, th- th- this is also an important part. Th- this, you know, our, our study, um, you know, the TRUST trial will tell us what is best to do, primary surgery or upfront surgery or uh, interval surgery. It is important to un- also know that interval surgery has never been proven superior to upfront surgery. However, in the EORTC and the pool analysis with Corus, non-inferiority was shown for interval surgery despite increased complete resection rates at interval surgery. Mm-hmm. And given the low radical resection rates at upfront surgery for both the EORTC, Corus, and even the Japanese trial who did not meet non-inferiority, one could argue that upfront laparotomy without any surgery equals interval surgery with high complete resection rates, mm-hmm. right? Meaning <laughs> that either interval surgery is useless 
and surgical proficiency need to be higher in the often situation, or that complete resection or surgical resection of tumor does not matter. It's mm -hmm. all about tumor biology. So, you know, the, the discussion about when to perform surgery, I, I, I don't have, uh, you know, we'll see. It, it's not a, I, I think the thing we need to decide is who should we do, who should we perform surgery on, mm -hmm. who, who should be eligible for surgery, and what should the surgical extent be, yeah. like a proxy for tumor biology. Absolutely, and uh, definitely awaiting the results of the of the trust trial as well. So one of the other questions that that uh, came in was, uh, you know, the, the findings from your study do not apply to expert centers with high volume surgery and high volume surgeons. Um, how would you respond to that comment? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> you know, how do you respond to that? <laughs> how do you define a high, a high volume center? an expert yeah no I, I i certainly that that's a subject that believe me I, as as you know i i have my thoughts as it pertains yeah. to high volume yeah. centers and high volume <laughs> surgeons for cervical cancer yeah. uh so but yeah, yeah. So, so what 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 are your thoughts yeah. on that well you know i believe we are high volume expert center mm -hmm. we're able to achieve 67 percent complete resection despite only having four percent interval surgery when mm -hmm. treating a totally unselected population mm -hmm. i think it speaks for itself yeah so then now i wanted to ask you and this is often a question i, I ask uh, the the authors um, how have the findings in this study changed your approach to the management of patients with ovarian cancer in, in your institution? And, and as a follow-up to that is, based on this study, what should we do differently or how should we counsel patients differently next week when we see our, our new patients? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. You know, our results have been very detrimental for our group. You know, and we have been going through all, you know, these phases I learned in America, dogma, denial, anger, grief, <laughs> misbelief, and finally acceptance. <laughs> so uh, considering our results, you know, I should not be the one giving an advice at the moment. Uh, I don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. We are in the process of trying to detail the selection of patients, but I, I believe there are still some months or a year until publication. And, you know, you may interview me again <laughs> after that. <laughs> Yeah, ab absolutely, and and, and I, you know, I, certainly this is a topic that uh, continues to um, impact us in our practice in, in gynecologic oncology, and um, and ultimately, I think you know, certainly uh, we will learn a lot more about the biology of these tumors, and, and and those factors may be much more predicting of who benefits from surgery, and um, who does not. So um, mm -hmm. again, I mean, this is a, this has been very very informative. I always learn a tremendous amount from from the, these podcasts. It's always such a pleasure to interview the the authors of the of the study. Um, congratulations again on this really great work, and uh, and certainly we look forward to to much more. Thank you so so much. Thank you. Could I have a closing remark? Absolutely, right? absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, since we have some airtime, I would really like to take the opportunity to urge our global community of surgical gynecologists, you know, to in future reports of surgery and oncologic outcomes in advanced ovarian cancer, mm -hmm. disclose the following five things. 
structural selection, meaning the specific setting in which women are referred or seek care, and which sample of the population that has been chosen. Two, to which extent the population of women with ovarian cancer are accounted for. Three, institutional selection, how women were selected for surgery. Four, the extent of surgery needed to achieve complete resections, as in procedures or um, surgical complexity scores. And then five, complete resection rates. If we do this, you know, we can, we can make, uh, we can draw specific conclusions and make comparisons. Otherwise, we cannot. And, and, and we owe it to our patients to try to find a better selection. Sarah, I absolutely, I really, again, in, in enjoyed uh, speaking with you. Thank you for those closing remarks. And uh, I really look forward to speaking with you again. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time.